This is The Exchange, humanizing commerce through post-purchase connection. All right, everyone, welcome back. We have a special episode of The Exchange today. So for our listeners out there, you know The Exchange focuses on brand, customer retention, post-purchase, uh, building true connection uh, in the new world of e-commerce. But today we have a special episode because we're going to be talking about something that is obviously near and dear to our hearts at Loop. We are going to be talking about returns. Uh, we know we get a lot of questions from our listeners to talk about it. So we're excited um, because we're bringing on, obviously, a, a very special guest, someone who knows the space the topic, uh, the future of the space, as well as anyone. And that is our CEO, Jonathan Poma. Poma, great to have you. Yeah, Tim. Awesome. Uh, weird, weird hearing that intro as much as we talk. I, I, I uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, don't, I don't feel like a special guest, but I, I appreciate it very much and, and just looking forward to the conversation. I, I don't, I don't think I oversold <laughs> you, but it is always weird to have someone introducing you to anything. So I, I know what you're saying. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> no, super, super excited though. Um, yeah, I've, I've been, Trying to figure out when am I gonna when am I gonna hop on here and what are we gonna talk about and and today's uh, today's conversation is a perfect time. Yeah, this is this is the right time. So what what we're gonna be talking about today um, is returns, the return space, what's going on, and what we think the future looks like. Um, you know, what triggered this is there was an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, last week all about returns, and it got us thinking and talking, and we've had a lot of conversations about it. And it was one of those things where it's like we wish we just had mics on at all times because you had you had a lot of really deep insight on it. I feel like we had some great conversations. So we figured, let's bring you on um, and let's bring some of the conversation to our listeners. So um, what I'll start by doing, and we'll link to this article in the show notes, but I'm just going to give a real quick synopsis about the article itself to our listeners. And then I'll just fire away with, uh, with some questions to you. So what the article in essence was about is that Amazon, Target, and a few other huge brands, huge companies are starting to use artificial intelligence to decide whether or not it makes sense economically to process a return. It's a somewhat new approach. It's not brand new, but uh, it's coming into the limelight a bit more. So I, I think maybe to the masses, it feels a bit more new. Uh, it's obviously been popularized by some of these bigger chains, and it's being sort of adopted and accelerated because of the pandemic. Uh, online shopping has increased uh, because of that. Returns have increased, and the the pressure to do a better job with how you process returns is at an all time high. Um, we've seen some stats saying that e commerce returns could total as much as uh, seventy or seventy five billion just from this holiday season alone. That's like a seventy five percent increase from last year. Shipping providers like FedEx, UPS, USPS they're showing record highs in total volume and return volumes, um, up by twenty five percent a year over year. So the article itself was essentially around the state of returns and where we think the future is going, which is why we feel like it makes perfect sense to be kind of weighing in with our opinion on it. So there's a lot in the article. There's a lot of short pieces to unpack. We could go in a lot of different directions. But what struck me and where I wanted to start the conversation was the fact that the article itself was sort of like a fundamental tug of war between two different philosophies when it comes to returns. So the fundamental question is, and what I want to kick this off to is, should brands be thinking about returns in, in the bucket of um, customer experience or should they be thinking about it in the bucket of um, transactional costs and logistics? How would, you, how would you approach someone's thinking there? Yep, totally. Um, well, and it always is that either or conversation, right, right Tim? And, and I think... If I try to really simplify it, um, 
it's it's just which do you prioritize first? Because what what's fundamentally true is both matter. Merchants need to have operating businesses, and as e-commerce matures as a space, returns and we've seen it for years now, and, and increasingly so. Returns is more under the microscope. Operations teams are looking and saying, "Okay, cool. I've got to find, I've got to find more dollars. Where what can I cut out of of my my operations?" Uh, cost and and returns now is a place where oh if if, if we can cut costs and return shipping um, if we can cut you know anywhere to save uh, some unit economics that's an opportunity but I I guess if I'm simplifying it we've got to lead with customer experience and I think it's like customer ex- you, you've almost got two choices is it customer experience but not in the face of opex or is it OPEX, but not in the in the face of, of customer returns. And I think, you know, fundamentally, if you ask me what's driving this innovation, it is the customer experience. Uh, the unit economics are also a benefit to the merchant, but the customer experience is, is driving it because at the end of the day, you know, Loop delivers a great software experience, but from the moment you complete that return to the moment you get your package, uh, your, your package on it, on its way back to the merchant is kind of a, a pain. And what this is solving first and foremost, in my opinion, is that customer experience. It's effectively running some logic, presumably both on the product and the shipping cost of the product and on the customer and the quality of the customer. But at the end of the day saying, we can deliver a better customer experience. And oh, by the way, it has these unit economic benefits. And that has to be the mindset, right? Because the alternative is we can have these unit economic benefits and, oh, by the way, it's good for the customer. And I don't think that's what we're, we're talking about. Right. And you and I have talked a lot about this. We were having a conversation about this last night, actually, around why a shift like that is, is, is accelerating in the industry and why customer experience and the experience in general is becoming more important than it ever has before. Do you want, want to, I don't know, do you want to shed a little light to our listeners on some of the, some of the stuff we were talking about there? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, um, you, you know, what comes to mind and, and this was maybe, maybe the, the, the jump off, um, was we've all, we've all known, uh, for, for years, right. There's the, the mantra that it costs five times more to acquire a customer than to, to retain a customer. And then the, the question becomes, why do we spend so much time Acquire. Or why do we spend so much time and money focused on acquiring customers? And I think it's because you know, at the end of the day, especially in e-commerce, retaining customers is is hard. Um, and I think what we're seeing, uh, and I think our our last episode with with Dave at, at Chubby's talked a little bit about this, um, is that returns can hold the keys to, if not if not creating, and we can have a debate about creating, but if not creating your best customers, at least finding your best customers. And letting you treat them exceptionally well, um, and and to me that's that's kind of the the, the focus here is uh, you you've got this customer who's willing to go through this experience with you, treat them well, and and just you know you've got to believe that they're going to come back and, and spend more, and, and we have the data to support uh, that story that they they do come back and, and spend more money with you. Yeah, that that conversation with Dave was really really interesting, specifically because we were talking to a finance leader who. You know, if there's anyone who's tuned into LTV numbers and cost metrics and all like the the operational side of the business, it's going to be the CFO. But to hear him listen 
to, or to, to listen to him talk about the fact that everything that they're doing, like, of course, they need to be balancing the costs, but it's the it's all because of customer experience. Like, we know if we can't nail customer experience, it becomes harder and harder for us to compete. And I feel like that was actually like, we didn't spoon feed him the answers. And it was like the ultimate lit- litmus test of like, are we just saying customer experience is more important? And like, to hear someone like him essentially regurgitate back to us what we saw, we talk about all the time was. I don't know. That's why that was one of my favorite episodes because it it was it was validating to know we're not just screaming this into the ether. It's it's the it's the shift that's going on in the in the e-commerce world today. Yep, hundred percent. So going back to that article, you know, they talk about Wall Street Journal talks about how Amazon and Walmart are really like leading the charge with using artificial intelligence and using data. Uh, you know, data to drive your decisions around returns. You know, if I'm an e-commerce brand reading that. I might have a few different reactions, but something I might be thinking is, well, I'm not Amazon and I'm not Walmart. So I guess a couple questions here. Like, how much should direction from big retail chains like that drive the way that an e-commerce brand is thinking about it? And like how innovative do you think what they're talking about actually is? Yeah, great question. Um, to me, we we've got to be aware, but when you're, you know, when you're a, a big retailer like that, and 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 we've talked a lot about. Um, you know, I think everything in commerce is going to be driven from one of two one of two places for the consumer. One is convenience, and the other is is connection. Um, this unequivocally is a convenience driver, right? It, it, uh, it if you were to survey the customers who benefited from this, they may feel a little bit more connected to Amazon or Walmart because of this. But what they're primarily going to feel is that. These these retailers took care of them. They made this a very convenient, uh, easy, and, and low friction experience. Um, you know, as as we spend time with brands uh, in the direct to consumer space, primarily, I think that it's not new to see Amazon driving on the convenience side, where brands. You know, you, you can keep up with the Joneses to a certain level there, but where you've got to invest is is connection. Um, you know, just think about how you want to differentiate as a direct-to-consumer brand, in, in, in my opinion. And I don't think you want to be the direct-to-consumer brand that differentiates on, on being a really convenient brand to, to buy from because it's, a, it's an uphill battle and, and someone like Amazon's always going to win. But if you can be the brand that, you know, delivers products that customers love, that your customers love your product and the experience they have with your product, um, that, that feels like more, more of the winning formula to me. Yep. And, you know, when, when you're a brand and you're trying to think about, you know, do I try to be as convenient as an Amazon, um, you know, sort of in the, in the example that you've talked about there, um, there is certainly a point where you need to be investing there and you need to be thinking about like, you know, how can I, um, you know, how I can, how can I deliver a, a, a convenient experience in the same way that Amazon has sort of primed all of us as shoppers to expect. But, you know, when you're, when you're, uh, you know, a smaller brand, uh, it's probably not the place that you want to be focusing, focusing up front. You know, another part of this article um, that they, they went, you know, on and on about, and it's something that we've had conversations about um, in between loops, four walls, and it's all around fraud and how that sort of, pairs with the whole strategy of like, you should just just keep the product if you, if you don't like it. So the articles really talks about how returns are being abused more and more. And it sort of felt like they were pulling out one or two specific examples uh, and sort of trying to paint a broad picture of what the return space looks like. So, you know, 
my question to you is, is return fraud something that brands should be keeping at the forefront of their return strategy decisions? Or really, like, what place does fraud have in the way you're, you should be thinking about that? You know, so, sometimes I see these articles speak to, to fraud numbers and they speak to them in, in an absolute, in a sense of absolute dollars. And it, it certainly sounds like, you know, a, a, a large number, but um, they, they don't put it in, in like the relative, uh, kind of the relative sphere. And uh, w- without pulling up the specifics of the numbers, w- when you when you look at that, when you look at the dollars that are impacted fraud and returns as a percentage of overall return volume dollars, it's it's minuscule. It's you know less than one percent, and and um, s- say it's even two or three percent. Um, I think the questions brands need to ask themselves before investing there is in, in Pareto's world, uh, you know, 80, 80-20, right? How how optimized am I? And if I'm eighty percent, I'm probably still not. Even if I've really done a great job following Pareto's law, I probably still shouldn't be optimizing for fraud. If I'm eighty six percent, ninety percent, ninety two percent, we're probably still not there. But when you are when you are in an Amazon and you can be optimizing not just to the ninety ninth percentile, but to the ninety nine point nine 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 percentile, then you can be be optimizing for for fraud. Um, but but just at at scale, there are so many more places to make up dollars on the unit economic saving side and on the value creation side. Uh, that that uh, I don't mean to be you know flippant or dismissive of it, but it just. If I'm a direct-to-consumer brand and I have access to the data that uh, that we have at Loop, uh, it's far from the area that I'd, I'd focus uh, today. Right, for sure. And I, I think of, you know, it's like, are people inherently good or bad? And what are what, what are you going to optimize for? And again, it all just comes down to decisions of, of like, you know, what is your return strategy going to look like? And, you know, I think of customers we work with, like I think of... Um, like Brooklyn and for example, like they have the most simple and straightforward returns policy and returns page. Like everyone should go check out the way that they do this. And it's really clear that a lawyer did not write that. It's very clear that like someone on the experience side, someone on the marketing side wrote that. It fits within their sort of with their brand, with their voice, with their tone. And then of course there's fine print. But that's what I tend to see is folks who are sort of early on and they're thinking about what returns is. It looks like they're writing, they're writing to create as many exceptions, catch as many exceptions as humanly possible, which inherently is saying like, we don't trust people when it comes to returns. Uh, but, but then you look at someone like that, oh, like Brooklyn, and then it's like, no, that that's really the way it should be that they, they seem to get it. Yeah. Well, and, and Tim, we've even talked about this internally. Um, you know, what do we use systems for? What do we use our, our rules, our, our, uh, decision-making frameworks, our, our mental models for, and what we've got to be doing and what, what our merchants need to be doing is, uh, building systems to make hard things easy, mm-hmm. not building systems to make easy things hard. And, and that even just asking yourself that simple question, when you're building your return policy and you're thinking about your customer experience, am I making something that sucks for my customer better? Or am I making something that my customer would like to do harder? And, and you've really got to lead with making things that are, are challenging for your customer a lot, a lot easier. 
For sure. It's and it's such a it's probably like an overly simplistic way to think about it. But when you use that as like the first principle, it makes a lot of your decisions around like what do I write? How do I phrase this? What do I include? It makes it so much easier as opposed to trying to think of it the other way around of like what's every possible road someone could go down when it comes to a return and I need to I need to keep all those balls up in the air. We've even you know, we've even done some. Uh, we, we've done a recent consumer study that we'll make sure is is uh, is linked out. I don't know if we've, we've. I don't think we've launched this yet. So we'll make sure that we put this on social when it launches. But you know, we even did a, a survey of just consumers to say like, what are the things that are hard about returns? And it's all of the things that I think we take for granted when we think about writing a return policy. Like, you know, um, how long how long do you have uh, to return something? What you know. Uh, Where's the nearest place that I can drop it off? How do I print a label? And like we looked at a lot of those responses, and it'll be really interesting to share this and get get all our listeners listeners feedback on it. But it's just those are all just part of returns. So we, there was nothing in there that was really the percentages were interesting, but it's not as it's it's not as if there was this like mind shattering discovery that came out of there. It's we just need to focus on making returns easy for everybody. No one likes to do them. All right. So this entire article seemed like it was trying to paint the future of returns. Um, but truthfully, I mean, we're, we're there. I mean, the, the, the world of e-commerce has shifted very, very quickly. And, you know, I think we see a lot, a lot of folks, a lot of brands sort of scrambling to figure out how do we make returns uh, just a core competency, something that we, that we do really well. So um, I'm curious, I'm going to ask you a very broad question here, but, you know, what is your opinion? And if you could like look around a corner, like what do you think the, re- the future of this space is going to look like maybe at this time next year? Like wh- wh- what's coming next? That you think brands need to be focusing on? Uh, if I look back over the last couple of years, we've obviously seen a lot of trends pick up in and uh, accelerated through COVID. What I would call last mile logistics of e-commerce. So, uh, you know, the fact that we can now have our grocery, you know, Postmates can drop off our groceries, Kroger can drop off our groceries. Um, that that last mile, we've seen a lot of innovation. Um, I think I think in the next year, especially with things picking up and in returns, just with more of that that shift to, to online commerce, um, the opposite side of that last mile of delivery is the first mile of of returns. Um, and uh, you know this this may uh, this may challenge our our sales team a little bit actually, but one of the, one of the best in in air quotes things about our sales demos is we get to stop when the software stops. So we give a demo and we get to show this beautiful experience all the way through deciding I want to send a return an, an item back. And then the demo stops and we we get to avoid showing the most painful part of the process, which is the first mile. So great, I had an awesome experience with Loop. Now what? Now I need to print a return label. Uh well, and, and we've got printerless now, so, so we can drop off with that one. But I, I've now got to take the item that I don't want and send it back. And you know that can involve printing a return label. It can involve going to a store. It can involve all of these things. And I think that first mile is where we're going to see innovation. And we're going to see it on, I think, uh, the carrier side. Um, everything from, you know, I think, I think uh, we're going to see brands more willing than ever to include a return label in the box. Um, that, that is, you know, far and away, I think the number one request when, when consumers are asked what, what, what they'd like, they'd like the return label in the box. Um, we, we're also going to see more 
uh, and, and we're leading some of that in, in the space, more of the boxless and labelless drop-off uh, at, at partners. I think we're going to see uh, from home pickup, uh, being able to you know schedule a, a pickup of your returns. But that first mile of the return journey is is going to be where we're going to see the innovation. And um, you know, all the way back to just one of the things we talked about earlier was, you know, are we optimizing for for unit economics or are we optimizing for customer experience? Unequivocally, that is a customer experience driven optimization, uh, which is where which is where the innovation should be driven from. Uh, we'll also see some benefits on on the unit economic and, and the operating side, but uh, that is the most painful part of of the customer experience uh, to today, uh, and where we'll see the most innovation over the next twelve months. Absolutely. And I know one of the things that you and I have talked about, and, and maybe you can expand on some of this is, you know, if you're a brand, um, you know, it's the beginning of the year, you're trying to figure out what are all the things that, where are all the different places that you're going to invest in your business? Because there's, again, finite amount of time, resources, but there are strategic ways you can differentiate yourselves as a brand to consumers um, and how you can build like a real operational machine inside of, inside of your business. So maybe talk a bit about that. Like, how do you view the way a brand should be thinking about it? investment, investment in themselves, who they partner with, and so on and so forth? I, I guess it, in, in the simplest sense, um, I, I'd think about it through, through a customer-driven uh, lens and um, uh, you know, may, maybe said another way, um, I, I would not look at the world as a, as a zero-sum game or like you need to go find uh, more new customers. Uh, you, you can... Uh, you know, I think there were $2 trillion invested in, in acquiring customers in, in 2019. Be thinking about how you can take care of your customers, how you can take your customers and turn them into uh, evangelists. Because the, the, thing that we, the thing that we know is, is for brands to thrive, you've got to have high lifetime value customers. Um, and that's going to come through connections with your, your brand, uh, which is going to come through connections with your, your product and the experience they have uh, buying it and the trust building experiences uh, maybe a little bit of a returns plug here, but the, the trust building experiences they have when something goes wrong, uh, like a product not living up to expectations because it doesn't fit or, or whatever the case may be, um, and helping make sure we, we use those opportunities to, to build trust. Sure. Okay. So, so, so far you, you've hit us with two pieces of advice for the return space for 2021. The first is focus on um, a great customer experience for specifically the first mile. How do you make that as easy and as memorable as possible for your customers? The second thing is focusing on building true connection. So making sure uh, that your customers feel connected to you either through your brand, through your customer experience, um, or through your product. So just to keep things neat in rules of three, what's maybe one, one, last, one last thing that you would add for the, the, the future of the return space in 2021? Totally. And I, I think there is one, one, one more that's reasonably clean. And, and we can kind of come back to... Uh, you know, earlier in the conversation, we talked about Amazon really driving um, on on the convenience side of things and and, and differentiating and, and making um, you know ma- making uh, making the experience as convenient as possible. And I, I, I think you know when, when we talk about where to invest um, and where to build a a uh, where to build your core differentiation, um, what what I think for merchants is let your partners. Uh, whether that be you know software providers like Loop or uh, carriers like like FedEx or, or logistics partners, let them drive the the convenience side of, of the innovation. Uh, we we will help you get there um, because we, we have the the scale to to do it. 
Um, and you know, when, when you think of just where your dollars can go far, um, invest in, invest your dollars in, in the connection side of things, and then invest your dollars in partners who, who are going to have to drive, um, on the convenience side, rather than trying to build a, a core competency, um, in that world. That's great. That's great. It's great advice. Um, and we know a lot of the brands that we're working with are, are already there and we're starting to see we're starting to see the shift take place of brands starting to think about returns that way and and looking for the right partners uh, to, to bring that part of their business to life. Um, all right. So last question, Poma, and then we will we will let you go. We know you're a busy man. So um, last question, I, I actually wanted to kind of get back to the beginning of the conversation. So beginning of our conversation started with a foundational question around, should you be thinking about returns in one of two buckets? Is it cost savings or is it customer experience? So the answer was it's it's both, but like if we had to neatly put it in one bucket, really it should be customer experience first. Um, so the last question that I want to ask you again is just just a fundamental question around returns. What foundational advice would you give to brands who are starting to take returns more seriously today? Great question, and and I think pretty pretty simply, um, it's it's to challenge the the status quo or the the old way of thinking. Uh, and when I bring that up, I, I very specifically mean one thing. Um, the, the old way of thinking is I hope that my customers are going to keep everything that they don't hate. And I think that the new way of thinking is I'm going to help my customers return everything that they don't love. And, and that is a, a, a very subtle, uh, but very important foundational shift in the way that that brands today should be thinking about their returns experience for their customers. Sure. Well, it's it's sage advice. I think a lot of brands are really starting to wake up to this, and uh, it's it's uh, you know it's been it's been great getting your opinion on this. You obviously have kind of like a bird's eye view into the industry. Um, you know, working with hundreds of brands over the course of uh, you know the last couple of years. So really, really exciting to have you on here. I know our listeners are going to get a lot a uh, lot out of the conversation. One last question for you: Where can we know we know Loop, but like where could listeners, if they wanted to find out more about you, keep up with you? Is there like a Twitter handle or a LinkedIn, you know, where, where can they, where can I follow you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much, um, so, uh, shout, shout out to Miami university. My, my email address, uh, while I was there was my last name. So Poma P O M A and then first and middle initial Poma JP. Uh, but I've just commandeered Poma JP and that's my handle, uh, anywhere that I am on the internet, it's, it's Poma JP. So, so Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, um, just just about anywhere. That's that's where you can find me. Great, great, and we'll 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 link as easy as that is to remember. We'll link off to it in the show notes. Um, so again, uh, Poma, thanks for joining us today. Hopefully, our listeners got a lot out of this, and uh, we will talk to you guys again soon. Yep, awesome, Tim. Thanks for having me. That's been the exchange presented by Loop, the returns platform for Shopify. Thanks for listening.